Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Around the NFL podcast. Didn't fall out that window. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I'm joined in a room that's filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. All right. Tuesday show. Week one in the rear view. A lot to get to today. Good to be back on a Tuesday show. Our, our longtime listeners will know we did this show Love for it. five or five seasons or so, and then had to skip it. Unfortunately, a year ago, but we're back. Shadowy League figures feels right, and made us change our night. It's like when the sitcom that they decide, oh, let's move them to Friday nights at eight p.m. and then the ratings tank, and then they blame the sitcom. No, bro, put us back in the time spot where we thrived. That's where we it are. never even. I think as early as week one last year. You know, we we enjoyed doing uh, the uh, we with the opportunity given to us. We did the best we could Easy with it. Enough. But no, I'm going to say we did. But like the <laughs> but the schedule never felt uh, proper. This feels right. And we were just talking about because who knows how long we'll do these Tuesday shows. Um, like these fading bands that are still touring deep into the you know 20, 30 years after the relevance. Where will we be thirty years from now? I mean, I see the only place we could go potentially is like overseas Europe. Dusseldorf. I mean, oh, like, like in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where he has to go to Italy to make the cowboy. I mean, pictures. to stay even vaguely relevant, I'd yeah. say four or five years, ten years from now, we would be well, in very gonna, hot water. We're going to be hitting some of those same venues those bands are hitting the Troubadour, you know, all around the country. Clubs. In this scenario, all four of us are still together as one entity. I'm just saying, if this still well, existed, that's a good, thirty or forty years from now, or are we just saying, oh, we're going to go three more years and it's over, and then what? We, I still have to make money, don't you? How somehow? That, that's a good transition, um, Wes. Actually, the four of us. I just wanted a little family meeting. Hey, let's let's head downstairs. Actually, let's go. Let's go down. Is this the lab? Let's go down to the lab. Mark, you too. All right. Linda. It's been a long time since we've been in the lab. It's been a while. This bit died a natural death. I thought. Well, it's alive, like Frankenstein. Brought to brought to life down here. Um, so 
want to make sure everybody's cool after a Sunday show. Wes, Greg, you got a little heated. It's a fair question. A little family meeting here. Mark and I obviously concerned, the listeners as well. Ricky, you weren't even here. Yeah, I was up in wine country, and I got asked if you guys were okay. I'm kind of glad she didn't. I mean, you know, it was an engaging discussion, but I think you probably were in a more celebratory place. Yeah, so... Greg uh, gave a speech at my wedding. I think we can survive Antonio Brown. Yeah, we're, you know, Wes and I are brothers. Brothers, and as we've seen with the Wesleyan brothers, they're going to fight sometimes. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we had moved on, and we're, we're talking bigger and, and better uh, topics immediately. I think it was important just to have a family meeting. And yeah, I mean, I, as opposed to burying your feelings in, in, in four or five seconds and acting like nothing mattered at all, we're fine, we move on. Dan, I'm yeah. still concerned a little bit. Yeah, we're kind of like the concerned parents yeah. for the brothers that we're fighting. Just talk it out. Out. Antonio Brown's going to come up in the news later today. So we just, as long as everyone's on the same page and you guys have moved on as brothers. That's more of a testing ground when we get into the thick of it. You yes. Know, when I he commend drops your leadership like on this issue. Nice, nicely done, Dad. <laughs> Never personal. <laughs> All right. All right, let's get out Wait, of the lab. Wait, the dad? Dan, he brought what his mom to the lab. You're the mom. kind of like the older brother. You're mommy. I thought I was I don't the like mom. That at all. Then, What's Erica? Oh, yeah. Erica's, Erica's our little sister. She's a little sis. That means Dan and I birthed Erica. That is a ridiculous <laughs> scenario. You birthed Erica. That means that one of you guys I would delivered. win Disney World, right? Isn't the first man to give birth? Does, don't they win Disney World? Mark? What does that even ready. mean? Not worth it at all. I could get in there today if I wanted to. I, the whole thing reeks of poor planning. <laughs> um, all right. Okay, that's good. Because, yes, we're going to get to Antonio Brown and Bill Belichick's comments on the new Patriots wide receiver. That deal is now official. Uh, we'll also um, do a little buy-hold sell after week one uh, on a, a, a number of topics. We'll hit. Uh, we'll look ahead to Thursday night football uh, and week two, which begins with the Bucks at the Panthers. Nice little matchup there. Uh, but before we do any of that, including the news, let us uh, finish the week one slate with two Monday night f- football games, starting with the game of week one and one of the better Monday night football games of the decade. Mm. Let's go, Ricky. Snap, placement, Lux leans into it. Lux has got the distance. Oh, he's got it. Saints win. New Orleans gets the W in the season opener, and Will Lutz is the hero. Lutz. Give me some of that music, Ricky. Give me some of that too. No. <laughs> well, he's a kicker. It's true. That's not. I kind of like. It. I kind of like. It. All right, let's roll with it. Will Lutz bangs a 58-yard field goal at the gun, uh, lifting the New Orleans Saints to a 30-28 win over the Texans. An incredible game featuring two quarterbacks playing at their peak. Drew Brees. Uh, got Lutz in position to drill that kick uh, with some really fine QB play in the last 37 seconds of playing time. It only got to that point where the Saints were behind because, my my goodness, Deshaun Watson goes two plays, 76 yards, and hits Kenny Stills to shock the Superdome into silence. Uh, there, there was so much drama in this game, Wes. A really, really good football. There was a lot of sloppy football throughout the week, uh, but this one was kind of an instant classic, and uh, the Saints come out on top. One of the best Monday night games I've seen due to my own um, habits on Monday night watching Game Pass. I didn't come in to the living room to watch with Lakeisha until the Hopkins pass at the end there. And oh I, my felt, gosh. I felt like I watched the whole game after that, and it was only like 40 <laughs> seconds. It was incredible. 
I was amazed at, I guess I shouldn't be at this point, at Deshaun Watson's just uncanny ability to play his best when he's behind and in a tough situation. It reminds me so much of the week. 16 game against the Eagles where he led a great comeback but then the defense couldn't hold it at the end and and Romeo Cornell the the coordinator who had such a great first half ultimately saw the Texans defense which was very good for all of last year totally collapse on itself gave up 27 second half points kind of a vintage Drew Brees comeback in second half performance and the the soft coverage that they played on on the final pass New Orleans threw was just brutal if you're a Texans fan to have done so many good things in that game and still lose is tough. Yeah, wake me up in a game where the soft coverage scenario in the final (laughs) mid and a half against a Hall of Fame quarterback uh, works out for you. It's very rare. This game is one of those ones. It had a little bit of everything. Along with DeAndre Hopkins starring as an actual player, he unfurled a German suplex on a Saints <laughs> player, which was enjoyable to watch. Um, Taysom Hill got first the first of his seven touchdowns. He's that seven. Bring me some inches. That's but, one. But off to a good start. And it, pace for 16. All I want to see is how are you going to use players, and it gave me a good sense. Come out of the game a little concerned about both secondaries, but it was a bit of a victory for Bill O'Brien, even in the loss, that Kenny Stills played an integral big part, and I'm not too worried about the Laramie Tunsil situation yet. I, he gave up... He. He did not play an ideal game at all, but it feels like it would be hard in a way that we never understand to jump in as a left tackle on a team in an offense with like four or five days it, to prepare. It was a great start by those running backs too. Duke, yeah, Johnson, Duke Johnson and Carlos oh. Hyde, especially Carlos Hyde. Looked pretty good they, for a guy who's been given up for dead a few times, right? They looked like a perfectly competent one-two punch. The uh, I, I believe the Texans ran for 180 yards and the, and the Saints had not given up more than 112 all of last season. So they moved the ball on the ground. Pass protection remains a major issue for Houston. And yeah, we'll see if Tunzel straightens himself out. He got beat on a really bad um, third down crucial play late in the game. But, but that, that plays like a good example of why it's tricky sometimes to blame the tackles. They, you know, the pass rusher Hedrick can jump the snap. I mean, he was off. And that's that has nothing to do with the tackle. And Watson, I wouldn't say that Sack is exactly his fault, but he went back about 11 or 12 yards. The idea is you want to push the guy behind your quarterback, and Tunsil even pushed him. And I would say of the – how many sacks were there? Were there six. Six in that game? At least two of them are on Watson. That's just part of his playing style. The, the line didn't play well either. I'm not defending it, uh, but but it wasn't all. Well, I, I just – my concern, pressure came from both sides. Yep. On, you know, and, and that's not – it just – it wasn't – it was not a clean game on it. How long can he last? I know everyone's asking the same question on Twitter, but – you know, he's 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 clearly got a back issue by the time that game ended from that touchdown run he had. And th- this stuff is the kind of way he plays is going to invite injuries. It, it was a brilliant performance by Watson. And, you know, I as we know, if you listen to this podcast, I've been pumping up the Texans all season. And I just think that it, it's been too often overlooked how great this guy is. I and, think that's fair. And I agree. And I think maybe Monday and last night changes that because that's such a big audience watching it. And he starts to finally get recognized for being a truly special talent. Um, and, and that's, to me, when I look at the AFC South, and I know they're 0-1, so 0-1 is 0-1. But the X factor in the division, to me, is the Texans have Deshaun Watson and the other teams don't. And I think that's going to make the difference if he stays healthy, question mark, of course. Um, I don't think any of these other teams catch the Texans. I think that when I specifically talk about the holes on their roster, I'm guilty of overlooking how special Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins are. 
And J.J. Watt, just because he had one game where he didn't make much of an impact, he's still special too. I mean, I think that depth is important, but but also stars win games. But he also needs to be J.J. Watt because without Jadevian Clowney, maybe he's getting a little more attention. Ryan Ramchek totally shut him down. as was one of J.J. Watt's you know worst career games. And then where are your special plays coming from? Because eventually that secondary kind of collapsed. It was a vintage Watson performance. And I think one reason he got overlooked this offseason is final impressions that we had of him last year, the playoff game. And it's the same thing with Drew Brees. I think we overrated how the end of last year went on some level, just because in, in the end, he was the second best quarterback on balance in the NFL last year. And even in this game, like he ha- isn't the story. And they put up 510 yards in 27 half time, second I- half point. He's part of a big system. He's got great players around him, but I think he can run that system. This game did not make me feel better about Drew Brees. I think it's a privilege to watch today's veteran quarterbacks uh, in clock management at the, end, at the end of the game because they've taken it down to a science, whereas 30 years ago that wasn't a thing. But the field has condensed for the Saints offense. It just has since, since the first half of last year. They're playing on a smaller field. And they need Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas to be special because Drew Brees' arm isn't what it was. I, Ron, I, he didn't attempt a pass over 30 yards until that Ted Ginn 40-yard shot in the final two minutes. I hear you. It's just they had a, two plays over 40 yards, another over thir- two more over 30. It's just it, the bar is so high with them. It's like it's not fun to watch. And maybe he's not the Their same margin guy. for error is just a little smaller than it was. And I, and I would be worried if I was them about their defensive tackles and their run defense and, and maybe a few things about them. One little thing, and Dan, you pointed out that this was a Twitter victory. I loved that ESPN, and you know, I think Monday Night Football is under a fair amount of pressure, to, to put it mildly. Like they unfurled this, um, fur, this Bug. down and distance marker yeah. that was bright yellow. And so, if you've watched football for more than five weeks, your eye is thinking penalty, and so you're drawn to what the drama is. And there's none because it's second and five. But at, by halftime, they ESPN put out a tweet saying, "We heard you. We followed the drama." And Will Brinson got one of these <laughs> tweets that gets retweeted like seventy-five billion times, and you know that was a nice move. But then what happens there is they I went think, and changed. I go check out this Brinson bomb. Well, no, they went. And sh- no, he. I think that led to the change because they saw these viral tweets. Oh yeah, for sure. Will that said this thing's a mess, and they Will, changed the graphic. Will, who's a friend of the show, is as savvy as they get on Twitter, and he went with the old, "Hey, retweet or favorite if you want." Uh, the ESPN to change their ways. And everybody's well, like, you, yeah! I thought you had a great tweet because you're like, this like down and distance marker, is it on anyone else's red? Oh, yes. Everyone else is already on top of that. Um, Rinsen an influencer. Oh, big time. Will not uh, to play Dan, the game. On yeah. Tumblr, move on. too. On Tumblr. Yes. Br- check out Brinson on Tumblr. It does not get any better than that. And Tinder. Can we go to your corner? Yes. Let's do it. That coveted numbers two spot behind Justin Tucker. It's Will Lutz, right? Mm. He did miss a kick as well today. Last I don't week. put like that. I don't put him right? on that. That that referee time situation forced them into a field goal they should not have. And I, the league apologized for that. Lutz is a top, been that long of top a field three goal. kicker, I think. Aldrich Rosas. Rosas got to show me more beyond one year. Rosas is number six. Who's there with Tucker and Lutz? Put me on the spot there, Chris. Let me think about that. All right. Get back to you. Let's I, I, I just want Lutz maybe, to be up there. All right. Maybe hit another 60-yarder for the extra – get another L in your name. I think that's a that's a red flag. Lutz. Will with one L. A lot of misspellings. Late game. First and go at the four. Car under center. Eye formation. Spins. Hands off. Jacobs over the right side. Digging. Turning. He's in for the touchdown. I don't know how he burrowed. I don't know how he 
submarined, but somehow he sneaks yes. into the end zone. That's a touchdown run of four, and the Raiders extend their lead early in the fourth quarter over Denver. Burrowed. Kevin Harlan, Westwood one. Miss him. Uh, he's so good. I mean, oh, that's a four-yard touchdown run, and he makes it sound like it was the uh, the greatest game that was ever played. What was that play with the Giants, and who was it? Who cares? Packers? Colts. Colts. Colts, Giants. Yeah. <laughs> 58 championship game. It does get too quickly I labeled that at this point. It was, I think we should. They we had should seven that. turnovers in the first half, five lost fumbles in the greatest sloppy game ever played. <laughs> I see you, Colts, Giants. <laughs> Calm down. Anyway, Derek Carr threw a touchdown pass on the opening drive of the season. Josh Jacobs ran for two scores. The Raiders, with the Antonio Brown fiasco swirling around them, Humble the Denver Broncos 24-16 on Monday night in Oakland, the final uh, Monday night football game in Oakland before the team moves to Vegas. And, what a crime. And it is such a crime. Um, and, and, Greg, this was, this is a, as, in terms of 24-16, as big a beatdown as you can get. I just thought the Raiders had their way with Denver and it was that way from the jump and all the things you thought would happen, uh, namely that the Broncos defense would give the Raiders fits. None of that came to fruition. And instead the Raiders just kind of went up and down the field at may. The, the, the Broncos had a Golston longtime listeners of the podcast. will remember we named a, a zero sack, zero QB hit game from an entire team as a Golston. Maybe they, a Watt we should call it now. Oh, oh that. A little early for that. But it, it uh, you know, couched on the team that you we have breaking news. Okay. Uh, Patriots are trading wide receiver Demarius Thomas to the New York Jets for a 2021 six round pick. That doesn't pass the smell test. <laughs> what? It what is does? I will say this, it is news. I mean, and yeah, you we, have broken it, so it is now breaking news. Right. So it we, normally, we would wait like till the end of the conversation we just started, since ultimately no one's going to listen to it for three hours. Just talking like logistics. But uh, that's fine, Ricky. It was the Jets and Pats involved. It's kind of fun and sexy. Yeah. And don't let it, don't let them get uh, get in your head. Mark said good too. No, I, what I, I you did not in your. I am client to us suggest that it was breaking news. You gave us the update that this had happened, which I very much appreciate. I said, good. And I dash dash at Dan Hansis for you to pick up at another time. Erica did it. A very capable job of breaking uh, the non-breaking news. Anyway, Demarius Thomas, who was the odd man out there now that Antonio Brown is in town, goes to the Jets, who I guess are looking for depth or someone's hurt that we don't know about yet. I don't know. I think he could just, I mean, it's a sixth round pick. Like one year after Adam Gase gets fired, so it's not, you know, a huge <laughs> Nice. Feeling pretty good about yourself. Here. I'm not. I'm just saying it's 2021, and Adam good. Gase is rattling, West, rattling, rattling cages. <laughs> rattling cages. <laughs> All right, let's get back to Monday Night Football. Uh, yes, the Raiders. <laughs> uh, Broncos, no answers for the Raiders. This was just John Gruden's ideal game. He's all about completions, short completions, getting rid of the ball, being decisive. Derek Carr had one of his best games in years. Uh, and Gruden, like, th- this is exactly what Gruden wants to do, ball control with passing. And they're, you're right. They didn't really have much of an answer for it. This Raiders team, I really do believe, is different than a year ago, even without Antonio Brown. I just think they've upgraded their talent to a – a normal level where they, that was not the case a year ago. And I think you saw Mike Mayock's draft class uh, be a factor. And I just think they're going to be a competitive team this year. Fontes Burfitt, like a lot of their pickups had a pretty big impact in this game. I thought it was telling uh, the way that they 
from the very beginning, used Josh Jacobs, who you didn't really see on hard knocks that much. And it was, At all. Right? So he, 23 carries. The rest of the team outside of Carr had three, DeAndre Washington and Jalen Richard. So that is, you know, if you picked him up on fantasy, good for you. I, I forget all the, the numbers. I, I thought Derek Carr, who gets... We, we give him lots of compliments on this show, but I don't think that he's accepted as a premier quarterback by most. He had one of those games, and it, they mentioned a Rich Gannon game that happened in the early 2000s, the year they went to the Super Bowl, where Brian Greasy mentioned it because he was the Broncos quarterback. I randomly was at that game when I lived in Denver, and what occurred wow. in that game with Rich Gannon was that I believe he broke the consecutive completions record. I had a few in me along with my cohorts, mm. but it was like 21 straight passes. So it was that kind of Raiders night because it had an old-school feel, and I feel for the Broncos fans because you walk into a game like that and it's one of those games where the entire and Dan I think you dealt with this on Browns Jets last year in primetime almost anyone that didn't have a super tight Denver rooting interest kind of fell in line and wanted the Raiders to sweep Denver up in this game and just drop them with a hammer and I enjoyed watching it I've never really been a, been a Raiders guy but I could found myself pulling so hard for them to win and I loved the game my First note on this game was Raiders are flying around the field like the 2013 Seahawks. Uh, definitely playing with more energy than a normal game. How long does this last? And it lasts the whole game. They they brought it the whole game. The crowd brought it the whole game. This was exceptionally well coached. Jimmy G was the only quarterback to get rid of the ball faster on average than Derek Carr did in week one. Their offensive line was superb, and I've been killing that offensive line. They shoved it down my throat. They're playing without their two starting guards and still shut out that Denver front seven. I mean, what else do you need to know than the drive in the second quarter? Oakland takes over at the five. I believe they get two false start penalties or two penalties, takes them back to the one and a half or two yard line. And then they just march straight down the field for a touchdown. And yes, kudos to the game plan. Get the ball out of Carr's hands quickly to, to you know, negate the pass or neutralize the pass rush with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. But if I'm John Elway and they showed Elway, I don't know if you guys caught the final minutes of the game, yeah. a camera right in Elway's face on the sideline, and then he did not like it on him. But if I'm Elway, I'm <laughs> sitting here scratching my head, and I'm thinking, I can't get anything right. I got Joe Flacco, we'll get to him in a second, uh, who's not able to lift the offense. I thought he would be the guy for me. And then this defense, I bring in Fangio to be the missing piece to take this defense to the next level, and they can't beat up on the Raiders? I it, I'd be very concerned if I'm a Broncos fan. It's just one game. The only thing that makes people out to be bigger fools uh, than week one is week two. So we'll see how they look next week. But this was not a promising start for the Broncos. And Fangio now has to go play the Bears defense next week, which is an interesting uh, time frame there. And one little tiny note on Fangio, and then I'm done with this, like, the, look, I get the coaches have their own um, style and they want to wear what they want to wear. And Fangio wants to be flexible and comfortable and have you know free reign of body motion during the game. But sure. the sweatshirt with this gigantic sort of um, Batman and Robin-esque utili- utility belt. I don't know what's in all the little pockets. Tasers. It was a throwback to the early 90s. Andy Reid has employed that yeah. at times, but it's it's not... We need to rethink from the ground up <laughs> the overall aesthetic that, that if, you, if you're going to be winning, no one, everyone's going to embrace it. If you're going to lose games, you need to be looking sharp. Well, you Ooh. know what this is, though? We just talked about it on a recent show. Head coaches looking hotter than ever. They're looking great. They're getting to the gym. They're doing the facial hair. They have jaw lines now. Uh, they care what they look like on the sidelines. 
Faggio is a throwback. I mean, he's a first-year head coach in his 60s, so he's a bit of a throwback to a guy. It's like I just want to, I'm all I'm built for comfort, not style. I want to win football games. It didn't work out on Monday well, night. I, but that's I really what am worried about clothing. I'm not right. talking. I'm not. You're, you're you, I'm not asking. I'm not him body to, shaming. I'm not asking him to go exercise necessarily, <laughs> but but we can do more. And we've learned even in this room that if we up our fashion game, things can change. Not all of us know that. But some of us. <laughs> I I believe that. Got it's, fair to, it's fair to question Vic <laughs> Fangio calling defensive plays from the sideline when he's never done that in his entire career and that the vantage point in which he was calling plays before, I think probably was an assist to him. I think it's also fair to question that why almost no head coaches in NFL history have called defensive plays from the sideline because it's impossible to actually run your team and worry about offense. He's saying, I'm just passing offense off to old Skangs. Well, Skangs doesn't have many pelts on the wall either. Skangarang. He's, he's saying, Not a good debut for Skangs. He, he can... He can he can call whatever he wants. I just think in general that's problematic because what made Fangio great, you're taking that away and you can't really manage the whole team. I actually didn't think the Broncos' defense was that bad. This was... Um, Come on, they were invisible. They couldn't make it. I hear you. No turnovers, no hits on the quarterback. Here's how many possessions no the Raiders had. They had seven. The, the Broncos had eight and they either kicked a field goal or missed one on six of them. Like, they, they just didn't have the ball that much. They moved the ball in the second half. They, I think they looked fine in the second half. They kind of woke up from the preseason. You got to be better in the red zone. It was boring to watch, but the difference between Flacco and Carr to me was really big. Flacco in the first game in a new system and Carr now in the second year. You could just see how much uh, calmer and how quicker he was processed. I mean, That's- find me a number lower than zero to describe Joe Flacco's Q rating during that game. <laughs> I mean, I, whenever he came on the field, is when I go. Need, if I have other things I need to go do, that's when I go take care of him. You, yeah, you you tweeted. Well, let's oh, Are We please. ready for state of Flacco? Yeah, let's queue up West for state of Flacco. Oh yeah, this was a, a candidate for the what team of West DL here. Well, it was uninspiring. Was the word I would use. And if he plays like that all year, I don't care about the 105 passer rating. Deshaun Hamilton dropping an easy touchdown. His right tackle goes down. And then I, it was at the very next play that the, the substitute gives up a third down sack. So a lot of things going against him. But uninspiring is the word I would use. He held the ball too long in the red zone. Uh, some of those sacks were his own fault. Um, I, I thought that it was uninspiring. And if he plays like that all year, Elway and I are both taking big L's. Especially since Elway, they put this big message on the board before the game. Elway, quote, our season rests on the shoulders of Joe Flacco. I mean, Joe Flacco is the Peyton Manning statue in the pocket. The, not the actual The good news, Wes, if, the sheriff. if Joe Flacco does flap, flop, only one of you probably gets fired. So. Well, we'll see. We shall see. <laughs> I, uh, Why do you throw the probably in there? My, uh, well, you never know. Take gone wrong. It could go very wrong. You never know what, well, what could Saturday like figure. We need to talk to you about Trickle your Flacco down, takes, Wesley. <laughs> here's my, uh, Close the door. Here's state of Flacco right now. I have a feeling I'm only going to like watching this team during home games. All right. Not a good road quarterback. Not a good thing. I don't think the Broncos have played well on the road, period, in the last few years. And I always fall for them in home games, and that's my fault. All right, there you go. Those are recap the final uh, week one games. Uh, let's now do some news. Baker just literally just says, run it. One yard in route. And I'm just going to bang it on you because you're big. <laughs> I don't know. That's funny to me. I just think it's funny. In it, fact, I want to hear it again. Let it rip, Ricky. Baker just literally just says, run it. One yard in route. I'm just going to bang it on you because you're big. 
I think he's talking about Dave and the Joku, but he could be talking about a, a, a variety of things. So <laughs> He is potentially talking about the tight end. Um, all right, let's get to the news, starting with, uh, yes, the Jaguars, who place Nick Foles on injured reserve. He, he could still come back, uh, but even that is uncertain at this point. Jacksonville uh, moves him uh, to IR with that broken left collarbone he suffered in the first quarter of Sunday's loss to the Chiefs. Uh, as we know, the only other quarterback on the roster in week one was Gardner Minshew, the sixth round pick who played quite well, Simsian even, uh, in, in relief. Uh, but who knows if that's going to continue, unlikely to continue, let's be honest. Likely. So, so Josh Dobbs uh, also joins the fray. The Jags announced on Monday they traded for the former Steelers backup. Um, a fifth round pick in 2020 goes back to Pittsburgh. So Dobbs. Uh, enters the depth chart behind Minshew. So the job is Minshew's for the time being, uh, considerably, um, you know, a significant amount of time uh, being uh, Mark Sessler. If I'm a, if I'm Gardner Flint Minshew too, I am not concerned about Josh Dobbs. Let's start right there. And we you know we just got done talking about Derek Carr, Gardner Minshew, 22 of 25 with two touchdowns. And I have never in my life had a backup quarterback emerge out of the shadows, uh, where suddenly, I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting tweets about Minshew saying, you guys don't understand. This dude has the it factor. He lit it up in college. He was with Mike Leach at Washington State. People that have been around him just say they love him and and that the entire Washington State team gathered together with Leach to find out what was going on during this game. He is one of these dudes that people, like a Pied Piper figure, get behind. He's immediately become my second favorite player in the NFL, and I'm going to be drafting Jaguars games very early in wow. Thursday because of his facial draft. hair because of his facial hair I like or? the whole energy no because facial hair comes and goes it's about what's inside the soul and what I think I see in him so let's start wow. right there and Josh Dobbs have a nice time sitting on the pine over under a month before you're still picking Jaguars games as you're high on yourself all depends on what they do with Gardner Flint Minshew too uh Doug Marone told Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts uh the beard and the bird to those of you out there who still remember that, uh, that this guy can sling it. There's no question about his arm strength. He, I think Fouts gave him a lot of credit for reading the blitzes in that game. That's promising. And I thought it was interesting. He was going to transfer to be a backup at Alabama because he wanted to be a graduate assistant under Nick Saban. Mm. Like, this guy's thinking ahead. So that he's that sort of quarterback. The one, it's like, hey, he's a coach on the field, which usually those guys end up being coaches. Well, right. You know, By the way, up, they end up being Kevin O'Connell or... Greg McElroy. Okay, yeah. fifth in Heisman Trophy voting and the recipient of the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award, which is given to older college players, i.e. seniors. No, but or, it, it, or those seniors. guys usually don't come in and have the first ge- you know, week in the NFL performance that he... That that performance should absolutely grab our attention and want to see. Foles is getting Foles. Henry, <laughs> wow, Henry Hodgson, uh, the vice president of international here at NFL Media, uh, sent me a tweet from a gentleman named Chris Kaufman. He uh, co-hosts a, a Dolphins podcast, and uh, Kaufman threw out the question: Who does Gardner Minshew look like to you? And there's a couple of good answers here. Um, he looks like the mechanic that comes to the waiting room shaking his head, saying you need your engine to be completely rebuilt. <laughs> he looks like the dude that abandoned your sister after he knocked her up, but he's back now, has a great job with a cable company, and really wants to make things right. Thorny. Uh, he looks like the tag-along brother of your high, best high school bud after he got out of community college. He does have that everyman look yep. that 
you can get behind. And I think for better or worse, he sneaks up on you. They do expect Foles back. In this case, he snuck up on the Mar- Chiefs. Marone believes he'll be back maybe as early as week 11. That's that's the first week he's eligible. That's a long time. It is a long oh, time. Oh, man. Yeah, well, let's see where Doug Marone is by week 11. I mean, I I wish him well, but that is that is do you, though? eons from now. <laughs> you and Manish Mehta are both on the same corner. I No, I've actually spoken. Doug Marone is one of the p- few coaches that when I've approached him at a league event was actually nice to me versus trying to swap me away like an insect flying through the air. He's three times the size of you. He is a massive human. Speaking of the IR, bad news for the Eagles. Defensive tackle Malik Jackson expected to be placed on injured reserve after suffering a significant foot injury. That's how the team uh, termed it in Sunday's opener against the Redskins. Uh, D coordinator Philly Jim Schwartz said, yeah, we'll probably be without him for a while. Uh, Malik is an important part of what we do, and we will certainly miss him. So next man up and all that. According to NFL Network, Jackson uh, has... Liz Frank surgery coming up next week, and it is an injury that should wipe out his entire season. Big setback, Wes. Yeah, it is, because he's a good player, but not every team has a Timmy Jernigan sitting on the bench waiting to jump right into the starting lineup. And Jernigan had a big sack that would have knocked the Redskins out of field goal range if not for a Derek Barnett penalty in that game last week. They're a little thinner, though, I think on the defensive line in general than they have been the last couple of years. There are, I would say that's definitely true at defensive end, and now because of this injury, that's true at defensive I, tackle. That game got a lot of attention because of the way the Redskins jumped out early when no one expected it. But if you go look at what happened when the Eagles kind of got out of their own way, three of their four ha- drives in the second half went for one, zero, and four yards. They totally shut the Redskins down. Um, meanwhile, at the dog pound, Cleveland Browns star Odell Beckham Jr. said he continue he plans to continue wearing the one hundred ninety thousand Richard Millie, one hundred ninety thousand dollar Richard Mill Millie. I don't know. I read it was a three hundred fifty thousand dollar. That has been reappraised uh, oh, okay. since then. Okay, timepiece a watch that the league reached out to him about and said, "Hey, bro, I don't know if you can wear a watch on the field." He says, "I want to keep wearing it. I will keep wearing it." And he added Tuesday that the NFL is singling him out. Uh, your girl, your woman, excuse me, Mark, Mary Kay Cabot, reported that Beckham said today, if Tom Brady was wearing this watch, nobody would say anything. Tom Brady wouldn't be wearing a $190,000 watch. Keep your focus on the field. And Mark, it has nothing to do with the Browns. This guy's been driving me crazy for years. And this is the type of stuff well, that drives me crazy. This feels like it's pulled from a time machine from a, a Giants game from because he has been totally quiet and nothing but a model citizen. And I'm not saying this makes you not a, a bad citizen, but it's but we don't need... Why does anyone need this, this is narrative? The, this is, this is the tightrope that being someone that comments on professional football walks when a story like this comes out, and especially with Odell Beckham... Is he getting paid for if this? You, if, you criticize, if you criticize Odell Beckham or a player for doing something like this, you're, you you are presented as someone from the establishment, someone who doesn't get youth culture. But no, it's not that. It's just like, this is stupid. And you just got your ass kicked in week one, and you don't need to make a story about yourself and certainly don't need to be bringing up Tom Brady's name and saying that you are somehow being singled out. It's just unnecessary. It's not the end of the world. No, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but this is the type of stuff with Beckham that comes with the package, and it's not always great. Am I the only one that, when I read this, was like, if I even owned a watch, which I don't, like, and it was that expensive, 
is the first thing I do, go do be in an athletic event where it's like getting scuffed by helmets and like getting you know smashed into dirt and grass? Like well, I, I don't know. He better be getting paid for it because they are getting an ex- an exceptional amount of free advertising. I mean, I assume he's getting paid for this. I mean, would thing. that make it I would, though, something? I would. Else it would only cool? be. I would only uh, wear it if you could knew you could get another free one. Uh, you know after. Cameron Wake's helmet cracks it or whatever could happen. Is I mean, that we're worth- advertising it. How about like, throw four is watches? Is that worth it? One? If the goal here is to get a free watch, is it worth just having to answer questions from the media for a week straight, straight back? I just don't understand. Can you not wear other watches? I didn't know there was rules against wearing what? watches. Who is Richard Milley? Why did you say have to answer questions from the media? He's in the spotlight. He's getting attention. Yeah. Why would you wear? I don't know why you'd wear. I don't. I just the whole thing. It's. I don't have time for. He, it. Antonio Brown came around. Uh, came along uh, at this this new souped up Antonio Brown of the last year or so and blew Odell Beckham away. I just worry about OB, OBJ getting a little like you know jealous and be like, no, I'll show you what it means to be a petulant wide receiver. I mean, watch. This has nothing to do. Plug with in. Petulant though. He's just wearing. Plug in. He's just being trying to be stylish. See, there you go. The coming Brady after me. is a little petulant. That, that's fair. That, uh, coming after me is the establishment. It's Greg. funny there though because <laughs> it's funny. Hey, they, if you're gonna talk about it, own it. You know, uh, whatever. No, I'm saying there is the, it's, everything's, everything's black and white sure. with this stuff. I don't think it's black and white. I I do think that rich guys and Tom Brady is one of them. The first thing they do when they go to the meeting, like the rich guy club meeting, they're like, "Let's get super into watches. Let's care about <laughs> the differences between them. Let's know everything about watch culture, and let's just dive in." Whereas for 25 years of our life, we didn't care about watches. The other object, I, totally I, I know this from traveling overseas to an area in Ro- Rome or somewhere where pe- or Italy where people were shopping NFL players, men's um, handbags that cost like $500,000 mm. and thinking that we could help pay for it on our NFL stipend. No, I can't even buy an a ice cream cone in Italy for how much it cost. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Speaking of Antonio Brown, Bill Belichick. All right, here we go, boys. Everybody, let's do this right. Bill Belichick spoke on Antonio Brown. He was asked about it during a conference call um, this week, and uh, everyone said, "Well, what a, you know, this this Brown? This guy destroys locker rooms. He 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 is petulant. He's a guy that you can't trust." Uh, what do you think about that, Bill? That's the guy you bring into your locker room. It's the same thing you said about Randy Moss when we got brought him in. So, <laughs> when asked if uh, outside issues affect the team's ability to win, there's no way to. For me to know what's inside every person's mind, that's up to each of us individually. But collectively, we try to get ourselves in the best physical, mental, and emotional state to go out there and play as well as we can once a week and so on and so forth. Um, I do have – we talked about a little bit on on Sunday. might have gotten lost in uh, everything else. But I do have this this horrible, deep, um, dark feeling within my soul that this is going to work out exquisitely Hmm. the New England Patriots. At first, I was all in on the idea of the Trojan horse and that Brown was going to come in and do Brown things and destroy the Patriots from within. No, he is going to be a monster on a team that's going to win many, many, many games. I, I have no idea what's going to happen because it's football. What do you and, think? I, and, and how could you... Greg, what do you think the most likely uh, uh, outcome is here, given the past history of this organization, which, by the way, is a testament to them? The most likely outcome is this works out. Yeah, for a year, and then that's probably it. Whereas in Randy Moss, people forget, kind of wore out his welcome and was... Uh, a pain in the neck after three or four years. Three years wasn't then. even the most rebellious wide receiver on his own team. Jerry Porter was, 
but you know Jerry Porter. When we're Belichick and we're gonna paint all the media as one entity, as if we're all Lem Pascarelli answering for 2007. This was it, Give me a break. <laughs> for for what it's worth, this was after this was Where like the you, third follow up question, and and his answer was the least surprising thing ever. And I believe it to be true that okay, he, there is a calculus. I'm only gonna take on so many of these guys, but he said. Ultimately, he's not worried about what happened in other locker rooms. That he's worried about if if someone works hard and if someone has a good you know attitude, you know works hard at their craft. That was Randy Moss's problem. Randy Moss admitted to trying so little that he got himself out of the Raiders. He also said, "I would like to." You know, back then he was he basically admitted, "I'm trying to get out of there," and he kind of just put in a half-ass effort for half a season, and eventually they listened. I don't think they're worried about effort when it comes to Brown. I think they're just confident that they have the structure that it'll be fine, and if it's not, that they can just cut him. And by the way, I mean, why shouldn't Belichick have complete confidence that that is the case? Because it's like they are the one team that has proven they can get players accountable and wired them a certain way. And And Wes, I'm sorry, but I also don't care what Belichick thinks about the media because the way the Patriots are treated in certain ways, they are treated differently. The Belichick could shrug off the entire media as one balloon sinking over the sea, and I just don't have a big problem with it. I don't think his job is to give a crap about the media. Uh, at all. Can I just point out that Belichick is lying through his teeth about what he says? He doesn't care about what happens in other locker rooms? That is true only if you are an all-pro caliber talent. Then he doesn't care what happens in other locker rooms. But for all the other players he scouts and does his due diligence on, he does care about what happens in, of lo- course. in other locker rooms. Of course. I mean, I, he's, I think he learned this lesson early on with Lawrence Taylor, who maybe shaped his career more than anyone. If there was a guy who broke more team rules and norms of what you would expect your player to do in terms of professionalism, it, it was Lawrence Taylor. And you know what? They bent over backwards to basically allow his drug abuse, try to work with him um, because they believed in him as a player. Bill Jackson. That was just, that's just the reality. Bill his Jackson. teammates loved him. They, yeah, they, liked, him. they yeah. liked the person too. It, I mean, it was tricky, but Lawrence Taylor wasn't just simply the football player. It was the person. Right. I'm, I mean, the idea of that you have different rules for different players, oh. especially exceptional players. The, the idea that that's not the true on every team is ridiculous. Phil Jackson, during his time with the Bulls, I just read this the other day, uh, Dennis Rodman, who is as uncontrollable a figure as there was in the NBA in that era, certainly, um, he had different rules for Rodman for different personalities to the point where he would be fine with Dennis Rodman going to Vegas and going on an all-night bender uh, during the NBA Finals. Just make sure you're back here for the game because he thought in Dennis and Dennis Rodman's mindset that that would make him a better player. And the the fear again, the fear because that's what's the worst thing about this for me is that the Patriots are going to get better. Is that Belichick intrinsically understands this and. Lawrence Taylor is a perfect example. Belichick was on that staff. And he'll know the right buttons to push with Antonio Brown in the way that Mike Mayock and John Gruden did not. Well, to take your comparison one step further, the only reason that Phil Jackson-Dennis Rodman dynamic worked was because Michael Jordan was there right. to instill order and keep keep a tight lid on Dennis Rodman, just like Tom Brady is there in New England oh, to make sure no. Antonio and, Brown. And oh, no. They're already taking selfies together. They're fine. And I think the time aspect is crucial because I think the Patriots are are fine managing with these guys who are a little different than the rest of the team for a shorter amount of time. And then they increasingly think, okay, that's the expiration date. They, we did find out he has a second year on his contract, which is up to New England if they want to have the option. But even a guy like Chandler Jones, who was the last guy um, who got in any real 
you know, like had any issues with teammates or anything. There was sort of an expiration date with him because he marched to the to the beat of his own drummer, and, and then they get rid of you. All right, that's what's happening in the news. All right, before we turn all our energy uh, toward week two and beyond, let's uh, take one look, one more look back at week one with a little buy, hold, sell, or is it buy, sell, hold? I think it's buy, sell, hold. The hold being the third, typically the third option, I would imagine. Oh, the hold like is kind of like draw? in the middle. It's like the porridge in the middle. It's I like, mean, but in, am I wrong? I feel it's like, like it's like win-lose draw. Yeah, it's exactly win-lose draw. It's nothing like win-lose draw. You understand me? Well, we've renamed it to something else. Okay. <laughs> All right. Win-lose or draw after week one. Uh, buy, sell, hold. Remember that game show? Oh, win, yeah. Yes, we, yes. Well, I mean, not, isn't it, not functionally in our life day after day. But yeah. I do remember. Was it was it like I had a the ho- C-list I, I remember that was like when we were, you had the home version. Got a couple B-listers in there. All right. Burt Reynolds pre-Boogie Nights might have popped up in a win-loser draw. Oh yeah. Right. Yes, pre-Boogie Nights. Here we go. Post Smoking the Bandit pre-Boogie Nights, very dark period for Burt. It's a big window there. All right, here we go. Buy se- buy sell hold. Greg, we'll start with you. I'll throw a bunch out. Um, we uh, talked this out before the show, so I'll just tee you guys up, and then you let me know. Buy, sell, hold. We'll start with Greg. Jimmy G. Mm. Concern for Jimmy Garoppolo after a meh week one performance. I'm buying concern. If that's what mm. I, I am concerned. <laughs> Until proven otherwise. And it's the first game, and he's coming back from a, a torn ACL. It was telling to me, they, I mean, they ran more runs than passes in that game. There was an ugly pick six. He missed a lot, I would say. I think he probably, I would say he had probably one of the four or five, I, have, I guess I haven't watched every game, but he was probably one of the, the worst performances by a quarterback last week. And the bigger issue is to me, it's like, okay, some guys, they have good games, bad games, but you see what you used to see from Jimmy G or... You know, you certainly saw from Baker Mayfield still five incredible throws in that game, including in the second half. I just had, I haven't seen those throws from Jimmy G in a while, and I want you, and you definitely didn't see any of them on Sunday against Tampa. He doesn't want to get hit. Notice this in the preseason. Notice this in the game against the Buccaneers where he's turning his back after he throws the pass immediately. He doesn't want to get hit because he doesn't trust his knee, I imagine. Um, and I think that. Throughout his career, in the limited sample size we have, he's an above-average quarterback between the t- 20s and a below-average quarterback in the red zone, and he's got to fix his red zone issues. All right. I mean, he's also 27, about to turn 28, so there's only so many more years time. for this to be fixed. This is a very important year for James Garoppolo. All right, Wes, James. Cowboys as a dominant offensive force. Buy, sell, hold. I am buying this. They are drastically different. The Texans are the only team that saw a bigger increase than the uh, roughly 26% increase of offensive plays with shifts and motion that Kellen Moore uh, used in week one compared to what Scott Linehan did last week. Damn. They transformed their offense. They did not go through the run. They went through the pass. They were extremely pass-heavy early on. There were huge tracks of land like watching a Chiefs game, and it wasn't just because it was a Giants defense. It's because the play caller and because you've got a lot of weapons. Randall Cobb looks reborn, throwing people around, running well after the catch. Michael Gallup is in line for a breakout year. They love Blake Jarwin. Troy Aikman was saying that they think he might be the most athletic guy on their offense. They have a lot of weapons on this team, and I even think a guy like Devin Smith on their bench is being underutilized. It, it informs why there was 
less panic around Ezekiel Elliott's situation because it's distinctly a different approach, obviously. And I look at Dak Prescott, three full years at quarterback, has never missed a game, 23, 22, and 22 touchdowns over three seasons. I wouldn't be surprised if he hits 40. Wow, so we got the we got the Cowboys as Wes's Super Bowl pick, which he's loving right now. Mm. We got the Raiders back. I like it when these when the the big like kind of NFL monolith. Well, the Patriots were not part of that classic age, so maybe they need to, you know, like a big gigantic old, piece of granite needs old, to come out of the sky and land on Foxborough Township. And old and new. Dallas averaged twenty one point four points per game. They could jump a full seven points there, can't they, Wes? I think if you are it limits your offense when you insist on going to establish the run, establish the run, establish the run. Great website, but maybe not a great offensive right. philosophy in 2019. And and when you had the Cowboys so. defense, I can see the temptation to do it. But when you've got a mind like Kellen Moore, and we continue to hear Dak Prescott after he has a perfect passer rating, then the opener says he's one of these geniuses out there. Mm. And, that, and his ex-teammate. Hear. I think that really matters. Mm-hmm. Mark. Jameis Winston flipping the switch under Bruce Arians buy sell hold after a woeful week one. I'm selling it, and it it's shocking. It, You're well, selling I, low on this one. I, I'm selling with like I'm, I'm selling low because I don't know who's buying it at this point. Because you, I, I get two years ago you'd still think that something can happen and there there can be a switch to flip. I don't think there's a switch on the wall, and you're in the dark searching around for it at this point. The guy turns the ball over at anything, essentially everything but Blake Bortles levels, and and he's right there and Eli Manning too. And you know he 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 has not he has he leads the league with Cam Newton over the past three or four seasons with. Three plus turnovers in a game, which absolutely sabotages you. And you have to, at this point, assume that he's going to do that three or four times a year. That you're going to lose, if you hope to go 10 and 6, three of those losses, and you're probably going to wind up 5 and 11 instead, are because Jameis Winston cannot control what he's doing with the ball. And the whole idea that because Bruce Arians was going to come in and keep the yardage and the electricity of that attack up, but rein in Winston and create smarter decisions in his mind. He goes out and throws three interceptions against the Niners, and I feel like they dropped a couple, too, where yes. it could have been more than three. So, I, you know, one game in, I, sell it. I'm holding. I'm holding, bro. And All right. I, well, I, you're, that's a very conservative I just approach. think it's a very – I think it's it's too premature to write off any quarterback. At this I, yeah, stage. I'll hold it. I, I mean, I haven't come this far uh, – to sell it now. would be news if you sold, by the way. But he, he, what you hit on, uh, Mark, is interesting because they were a lot less explosive. It was a bad, it was a terrible offensive game in general. He started the game on tilt, just missing throws. N- none of them looked good. Any concern, Mark, though, that you brought up that you had a buy, sell, hold of the TNF, the a team playing on TNF oh. when we're about to have the TNF preview. Oh. Yeah, it, it kind of pulls the plug on oh. comments I'd make then, but then it's also an opportunity for more, you know, to skate. Just opportunity to skate. We've got plenty bit. to talk about next. <laughs> All right. Um, now, you're going to think that this was me making the same mistake in a way, doubling up, but it's not because I want to talk about it and get into it in depth, whereas we didn't really have the opportunity during the game recap. The Raiders' final season in Oakland – I'm buying, man. Well, that's different. You know, different. I'm buying the Mark Raiders. Mark made a bigger mistake. I'm buying Derek Carr. I didn't Carr. choose what was, you know. Uh, Greg's right. Uh, I'm buying John Gruden. I'm buying the dirt infield. The last time we'll ever see a dirt infield, potentially. I'm buying the black hole. Yes. The real black hole, not the Fugazi version that they're going to try to foist upon us in, in the desert next year. And I just think it's not a big enough story how amazing these fans are. That... Their team 
is quitting them. And they're like, and I mean this in a positive, they're like the unrequited love. They're like a golden retriever that they just still love their Raiders and they love getting together with their friends and family and dressing up like maniacs and going insane for their team. Now, week one, Monday Night Football, the electricity is going to be a higher level. We'll see how it looks if they're, you know, four and seven in in a couple of months. There's also, I would not rule out in the final season in Oakland, based on what we saw in week one, that the the, the whole city is just going to rally around this team and send them off, which is really commendable for a fan base. I kind of like Greg also, during this this conversation, you're having shifting into what feels like a Raiders-esque outfit. But you're right, and when they've, they've been so deplorable for so long, it doesn't change the way that stadium is. That's an event that they go to every week. It's not like suddenly you're getting 8,000 Wes, you were smirking there. my entire uh, soliloquy there. What? I mean, what? see the way they dress. Have you considered they might just be fetishists? <laughs> <laughs> They're great fans. It's a crime great that football's base. being stolen. They're the best fans. From Oakland. Not only all the, everything you said is true... I, I guess I'm holding because I think they're going to be an interesting 7-8 win type of team that stays in the mix. I don't know what I'm let buying me, here. The fans, I'm buying all the yeah, way. Let yeah. me, and, I'm buying yeah, the fans. Let me, I'm buying let me, the fans. Let me di- uh, There'll be a, a fun year where there's some nice moments. I think there's a potential for the Raiders being a really tough team in their building, which most people would not have expected this year. And I think they could hang around. All right. I, I love it. I don't think they can play with that energy all year, but they earned a hold from me in that game. Mm. That was a very impressive that's performance. From West, that's saying something. Yes, I would I would have said and 99% way, chance for a sell before that game was There's played. a sliding door scenario where they lost that game 49 to nothing. And I know they all have right, the great I know they have the great history, but they've been worse than they've been as bad as the Browns or any franchise in the NFL the last two decades. That's and now, and now you now and you the fans a, have still stuck with and, it. And now you add a move to it, which is the one which was the ace up the sleeve right. for Browns fans to, to point and to. And I see all you mean girls on Twitter and the different snarky blogs all around that just kill John Gruden forever. Forever and ever. And I don't see any uh, blogs throwing the guy some credit for having a hyper-prepared, focused team whip up in week one without their best player who tried to ruin the season. Let's give Gruden a little bit of credit for what they were able to do in week one. That's well how blogs team. operate, but I hear you. All right, Greg. Be hating. Zach Taylor dragging Andy out of the Dalton scale by sell. I'm going to buy it. I'm feeling the week one fever where we overreact that after all these years, Andy Dalton's going to be. I got the Raiders going to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, let's do it. I don't care. I'm at least into. I've been into Zach Taylor all offseason. We're trying to raise this guy's Q rating. No one knows what he looks like. Let's hear it. Nobody knows what a Q rating is. Let's hear it for skinny uh, 5'9 guys uh, being head coaches in the NFL. He's taller than that, isn't he? I don't know. Maybe he is. He looks like it when he's next to all the players. They, 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 they were not the Rams offense, by the way. It wasn't all the three wide receivers. There's tight end screens. There's a lot of things going on. There's vertical passes there by Andy Dalton. Man, he just looks so comfortable and decisive for that one game. And I know maybe they had a schematic advantage of Seattle and never seen them before. That I'm at least ho- if he can make John Ross a thing, uh, I'm just hoping he can make Andy Dalton a thing. I, I'm with you. I'm buying because I, you know, watch that from end to end on Sunday, and they changed my feeling about them. But, Greg, I, I, not to suggest that you were projecting here a little bit, Zach Taylor is 6'2". Wow. Mm. Yes. So. That was shocking. I am he selling. Just, some guys look <laughs> shorter than they are. <laughs> some things don't need to be said, Wes, but we want to hear your opinion why. <laughs> well, I don't think that offensive line is going to be able to hold up 
for much longer. And I don't think the schematic advantage that they had in week one will stay. And John Ross's game was about as fluky as a receiver's game gets. Oh, how dare you? He was open more in that game. <laughs> Than he was in his entire career before. Tedrick that. Thompson isn't going to miss time a jump every time they have a 65 yard bomb. Sure, but he's not going to get a flea flicker wheel route every week for a long touchdown. Oh, yes, either. they will. His his speed, though, <laughs> is game breaking speed, and he was open a lot. He dropped two passes, which is, you know, the he had John the same Ross game breaking speed the last two years, too. I'm but sorry. No, no AJ Green, and that offense didn't fall apart. That, that's, it was impressive. I'm just saying I'm selling them as that's going to be repeatable. All right, Wes. Sammy Watkins' long-awaited breakout year, buy, sell, hold after a monster week one. I'm buying. That was as quick uh, as he's looked in traffic and explosive after the catch as I've ever seen him since coming out of Clemson when he was hyped as you know the next great wide receiver. I think that probably for the past year and a half, he's had the most unfair advantage of any wide receiver in the NFL playing with Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and Patrick Mahomes. And he he admitted that after the game, that, look, I was open for those two long plays because of Tyreek Hill. And then after Hill's injury, he was the chain-moving number one receiver who, who was still getting open and making plays after that. I, I think he's a transformed guy. He talked about finding balance in his life. They're traveling all over the world this offseason. He seems like a guy who came to camp ready for a mm. huge year, and I think he's going to have it. I mean, spent his year catching footballs from – you know, jabronis in Buffalo to start his career. And at this point, I'll buy anything in Kansas City's offense. You could throw almost any scenario at me, I'll buy it. I'm selling. I mean, he's been on two of the Total best. Total Greg. Well, here's the thing. He's been on two of the great, the best offenses in football the last two years, and he didn't gain more than 600 yards in either season. So I've just seen him have these monster games here and there throughout his career. I want to see it more. Has 200 already. Whose turn? My turn? Sure. You could skip me if you want. Oh, it's your turn. That's what I thought. Uh, Mark, Adam Gase's quote-unquote electric, as Sam Darnold put it a couple weeks ago, Jets offense, buy, sell, hold. I'm certainly not selling because (laughs) they played a defense last week that I think will go down once again as one of the best in the league, and it's week one. And, I, you know, Darnold is maybe someone that could have used, not that you want to do this and throw him into the fire, a couple – more quarters in the preseason to get a little more on track. I think Gase, and I could be completely wrong about this, is maybe one of these guys that keeps getting chances, sort of the way Belichick did over and over by people, because someone somewhere believes in him. He's almost like um, like one of these old painters that uh, was a mad genius that had a patron, some sort of rich patron that would... <laughs> Back them and, and basically give them, you know, there's a, there was a Flemish painter, Peter, Peter Paul Rubens, who had the Duke of Mantua that just paid him to do paintings forever. And we never would know who he was if this one guy didn't believe. And I think that maybe the Jets, you know, the Johnson family saw something in, in Gase that others don't. And maybe it goes totally south, but I'm not out on Gase. I'm still buying on Gase. I'm totally buying on Darnold because the guy is like 23 years old. I mean, it's, there are other people coming... 22. 22. There's other people coming into the league at 24 and not starting until 25 or 26. And we've seen too much from Darnold to like mm. at this I'm point. I'm going to give Darnold some tough love here. Mm. Uh, I was going to talk about it on Thursday, but might as well do it here. Um, there were two times in his career so far where 
Um, he really had a chance to play some hero ball. The first one was, you mentioned that Browns game in week three last year where they got the ball back and the sky was falling, but it was too soon. He was a, he was a baby. Jeremy Bates was his offense coordinator. Todd Bowles is prominently involved. You gave him a mulligan on that, and they weren't able to move the ball downfield. They got the ball back down 17-16 uh, with three minutes to play in their building, and they had no kicker, and they went and got Fikin, by the way, today to replace Kari Vedvik, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, they had no k- kicker, so they were in a tough spot. But what I really wanted to see in that moment was some growth from Darnold and for him to lead the Jets down the field and maybe steal that game back. The fact that he went two for seven and they turned it over essentially on downs at the end of the game uh, was disappointing to me. And I, th- that annoys me. And it wasn't just him. This team does need more time to gel. Uh, the offensive line did not play well, could not handle the Bills blitz. Uh, and Gase was killing the wide receivers uh, this week in the media. Uh, Robbie Anderson was getting some strays, uh, not directly, but not running the right routes and not playing at his best. Um, but I just need – I'm in hold territory. I dropped down from a hard buy to a hold just because I was so disappointed uh, by the way that offense mm. tanked um, when they had a chance to put that game away or take it at the end. That's where well, I'm – Well, I'm surprised that you're um, – that you're – that you're in that place with them after that game. I mean, it's like, Darnold. Yeah, that, how could I that, not be? That was well, that fine. No, I, that's not. I just didn't think it would change at all. I thought you'd give him another week because it's it, to me like that final drive was a mess, and it kind of reminded me of the way I felt about Trubisky after the opener last year against the against the Packers, where he couldn't seal the deal. But uh, well, that's the concern. It is. <laughs> I don't want a ceiling of Mitch Trubisky. I have a little. Not not that you're going to read the stand, but yeah. there is a little Browns, Jets, Mayfield, Darnold summary in this week's on my. I'm radar. only not reading it because I need to move on from. Well, it's quite positive of Darnold actually. Oh, okay, I, well then I'll read it. I'm not. I the, the game was <laughs> the game was disenchanting, <laughs> but like I how I could see also you being totally on fire a week from now, literally a week from now after they beat the Browns on Monday Night Football and you'll be completely back yes. in and acting like it's... You but know, I'm a fan. I'm, hold, I'm holding on the offense, but I, I'm selling on the Adam Gase press conference experience lasting long-term in New York. We talked about this the second he was hiring, that his the way he is behind the microphone, how frustrated he gets, I don't know. It's just going to burn a lot of everything in New York, <laughs> energy and and I don't necessarily think he's slamming all of his players, but he's a lot more critical and just being honest about all of their mistakes without necessarily putting it all on himself and the media eats that up and at least some of the players are going to eventually not like that and it's just it's just a cauldron of of a lot that he needs to have some success early. But Those, I do think their yeah, offense will be it. fine. Those tabloids have already caught fire with with Gase. Greg has tears of happiness as he's making his This point. isn't true. I've been saying I like Oh, this office. cauldron of doom is swirling. You love it. <laughs> I've said... More sorrow. I, I have been fascinated by his press conferences uh, for a long time. You're, you're, you're masking your true feelings and rooting interests as analysis, and I see it all. Well, is Greg the Look, only one... An is Greg the hood. only one guilty of that? <laughs> right. no, certainly not. Uh, all right, I'll throw out one more. I am selling on the Jaguars mattering in the AFC. I I just I hate what happened. Yes, Gardner Mishu, maybe Minshew. doesn't matter. Um, you mispronounced it on purpose. Uh, everybody else can think that he's going to save the day, uh, but you know, Wes, history is instructive. When you turn to a sixth round quarterback that's not Tom Brady as a rookie, 
give me the list of guys that have stepped in and turned into real starters on a week-by-week basis. And I'm not selling entirely on the Jaguars' defense, but I was just like so grossed out by the, their performance against the Chiefs. The Chiefs are the best offense in football, yes, but have a backbone in your building in week one. I was just annoyed. I'm annoyed at their defense for playing so poorly Fair. in that spot. And now you, what you're asking the Jaguars to do to be relevant uh, in 2019 and and bridge the gap and get back to Nick Foles potentially in decent shape around 500, let's say. The Jaguars have to be the Jaguars of old, and they didn't look anything close to it in week one, so I'm just going to say put the bad quarterback situation with a defense that might be overrated, and this has got 6-10 and 10 written all over it. I thought someone that who, you know, who had bet full meals on the performance of Chad Kelly – would have a softer approach towards quarterbacks coming in from nowhere to perform. Kelly's different. I mean, that's swag. I would put a sandwich on Josh Dobbs making at least one start before Fools comes back. I wouldn't take you on it because I agree. And I, I think that Minshew was impressive in relief, but it's a lot different than being – in, in relief is a lot different than a defense preparing for you to start a game. And it's not always going to be against a Chiefs defense that had no pass rush. I am entirely in. All right. All right, here we go. Sandwich. Good talk, guys. Go get my lunch.org, Nick Fortier. Let's now do a qu- two-minute drill. That's that's a name of like a podcast segment that no one's come up with yet. So we'll call it the two-minute drill. <laughs> Bucks, Panthers, Thursday night football. Yikes. September 12th, 5.20 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m., 8.20 Eastern. Figure it out if you're in England and the surrounding territories not owned by England, especially not Ireland. You've got access to the you got access. It's not that tough. Anyway, here we go. Jameis Winston coming off that three. Inter- I'm starting the clock, Ricky. Jameis Winston coming off that three interception debut. Now heads to Charlotte to face the Panthers. Two 0-1 teams, Greg Rosenthal. Uh, someone's going to come out of this in a really bad way. Uh, you feel good about the Panthers? That's my prediction. Yeah, I do. I do think the the Bucks at least have the run defense with um, – Vita Vea and William Golston and Indomitian Sue up front to maybe slow down Christian McCaffrey, and I think that's probably job job one of any team trying to stop the Panthers. Bucks play calling had no rhythm with the quarterback, and part of that was how many penalties there were, but there was no rhythm to that passing game. Ronald Jones was perhaps the single most transformed player I saw in week one. Last year he was running in the La Brea Tar Pits. As I texted Mark, this year he's running through cornfields. You cannot arm tackle this guy, and Peyton Barber will be out of a job very soon. Mm. Ronald Jones looked fantastic in week one. If I'm Todd Bowles, I would treat this game the way that Belichick treated that first Super Bowl with the Rams way back in 2001. I would just do everything in my power to remove Christian McCaffrey from the game plan and just hang on tight and wait for Cam Newton to he, make mistakes. He is, he is the type of talent, McCaffrey, though, where you can't really take – he's like Alvin Kamara in the sense that you can't I just take said him I'd out try. of the game plan because if you, if you bone up to get on the run, they're going to get him in the pass game. He's just such a talented all Right, but I'm comparing guy. him to Marshall Falk, who I think people would have said the same – similar things about. Sure. The, the Bucks though – they don't have. They might have the worst pass rush on paper of any team in the NFL. Their top two passers are Carl Nassib and, and Shaq Barrett. They had no pressure on San Francisco. They also gave up fewer yards in that game than any Bucks game all of last season, except for one. So Todd Bowles, who's used to not having many pass rushers, you know, had a pretty good week one. And I, I have. I'm curious what this Panthers offense is going to look like still. Desert likes the Panthers a lot by six plus one. Cam Anybody coming else off a bad Bucks? game. 
Anybody at the Bucks? No. I don't, but no. the Panthers off the line. They didn't that's communicate. It. No, that's two minutes. That's the two-minute <laughs> drill. Put a trademark on that. All right, that's it for today's show. We'll be back on late, you know, late Thursday. We'll have a recap of this game, and then we'll start digging into week two and preview every game to come. We're in, we're in it now. Let's fly. Oh, we, actually, before – wait, cut that a second. Uh, program note, I believe Thursday, this Thursday is our first – we stream – the Sunday night um, flagship recap of all the games, which did really well. Good numbers, I was told, uh, by the shadowy league figures. Uh, so thank you to everybody that checked that out. We're going to be doing the same thing starting week two for the Thursday show. So you can, of course, you'll get the audio podcast, as you do always. But you'll also now have the option uh, to watch that live as we record it. We better not we better not that one If up. we get really lucky, maybe Greg repeats the outfit here and goes hoodie hood up during the show. I mean, this is, I'm enjoying the this. Well, I mean, that's a, we're not on camera today, so it's a beautiful thing. Uh, well, we could be on camera at any moment. Isn't that true? You're always on camera. Ricky, Greg. can you get him on camera? Let's, can yeah, we, of course. We break, let's blow this out and get a nice 10 minute segment out quickly on social media. Oh, wait, we just fell into the spider web. This is what Greg was looking for. He was looking mm. for a nice viral clip of him with the hood. Go totally dark. He's got it. Go dark. Go dark. No one will ever see this. <laughs> Don't care. Reverse gears. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, uh, Dan Hans is signing off for Quiet Storm, the mailman, the old boss, and Ricky Hollywood behind the glass. Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Till Thursday night. <laughs> 3 V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order.